Welcome to We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, engineers, and anybody who is interested in robotics. Hosted by the Unlimited Robotics Team. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us today for another session at We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, makers, and anyone who's interested in robotics. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Carlo Pincioli. How are you, Carlo? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for participating in our podcast, because today we have a very special episode about swarming robotics. But before we start with the questions, I want to introduce you to our guest. So Dr. Dr. Carlo Pinturoli is an assistant professor at Rochester Polytechnic Institute, where he leads the Nest Lab. His research interests include multi-robot systems, swarm intelligence, and software engineering. Carlo published more than 50 peer-reviewed articles and two book chapters and edited two books. He is an associate editor for the Swarm Intelligent Journal and for the IROS and ICRA robotic conferences. Dr. Pinciroli was the recipient of several awards for research and teaching, including the WPI Romeo Moruzzi Young Faculty Award for Innovation in Undergraduate Education in 2000, 2020, and an Amazon Research Award for 2019. So as I said, we have a very special guest. Thank you, Carlo. And let's start with the first question. What is swarm robotics for people who don't know or are not familiar with this concept? Um, I would say the best definition uh, is to take inspiration from nature and say that swarm robotics is uh, that branch of robotics that takes inspiration from social insects. So ants and bees. So you have to imagine that instead of having just a multi-robot system of made up of say five robots, imagine your multi-robot systems to be made up of a hundred or even a thousand robots. Okay, very interesting. But why do we need this? I mean, why do humans who are already fear from the concept of, or maybe some of some of them may fear from the concept of robotics, should also now get acquainted with the concept of robotics mixing with nature? Well, um, I would say that the what we are learning from nature is that coordination at um, you know at, at the scale of, of hundreds of thousands of agents is possible because nature tells us that it is actually advantageous. It has been um, you know, evolved multiple times. And then technology that allows us to uh, sort of first understand and then master this is very important technology. On the one side, um, we can use robots uh, essentially to, to replace uh, dangerous, um, to replace humans in dangerous activities, for example. So we don't necessarily want to mix people uh, and robots, but we want to replace people. So for example, an idea could be um, that currently mining has become increasingly um, more dangerous because to an extent, you know, the easy mining is, is done. And so we could send robots to do that. But, you know, why mining on the earth when we can mine on the moon? But the moon is large. So we would like to mine with multiple robots. And, you know, we already know that there are insects that mine and, and, and or, well, no, wouldn't say mine, but they dig. So they build nests like termites and ants. And so we could take inspiration from them uh, to create habitats, for example, to, to explore Mars. Uh, these are just ideas, um, but uh, nanotechnology, for instance, in medicine is also another example of where, you know, swarming robots could be useful. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. 
So I have a question regarding the trends in swarm robotics. What do you see as the upcoming trends and in which industries do you expect swarm robotics will take place in the near future and maybe in, in the far future? <laughs> so um, I would say the origin was, as I said, from biology. So taking inspiration from, from nature, observing that nature invented these solutions. And so um, trying to master them. The uh, trend that followed, uh, which is still ongoing, obviously, and will be ongoing for a while, is to try and engineer these systems. Um, now, this is a huge challenge because these systems work with a principle uh, called emergence. So the idea is that um, individual robots uh, are not particularly smart um, taken individually, uh, as much as you know, bees are not particularly smart or ants are not particularly smart. However, taken as a group, um, they become much more. And so the intelligence is a result, uh, not only of the individual you know, intelligence of these agents, which is, which is anyway limited, but it is a, um, a result of the interactions uh, of the thousands and thousands of interactions that these uh, um, individuals have. So engineering this uh, is an incredible challenge and it's still ongoing. And there have been um, mostly two um, ways to attack this problem. And one, uh, which is the early one, uh, was to in fact um, use um, uh, let's say mathematical models to try and model, uh, to basically to borrow mathematical models from, from biology uh, and apply them to robotics. Then there was a trend that was interesting because they keep coming back. There was a trend in which uh, machine learning, early machine learning methods were used because people realized that it was too hard to just do it by hand. Um, but then as we, as we did this, we realized that certain solutions uh, were we, we could engineer them basically. And so there's a new uh, set of models that have come up, you know, new mathematical ways to, to express um, you know, um, collective behaviors. And so now we, we are seeing a resurgence of you know, more mathematics, but different from the old one. And then obviously machine learning that now is booming is also being part of this picture. So now you see that uh, more and more uh, machine learning is entering the picture. So it's interesting because there is just some mathematics that chases um, machine learning and then machine learning that chases mathematics. And basically the two trends, I, I think in the near future, but it's gonna be for like this for a while uh, will stay uh, and they, they, will, they will inform each other. So I, I have to admit that I am a strong believer in swarm robotics. I do believe that copycat the nature is brings a lot of benefits to the table, but I cannot help not wondering about communication between the, the, the members in the nest. So how does the communication is made through some kind of a server signals that are getting from, let's say, one major device or internally between the members of the group? So communication in, uh, in swarms is mostly, and I would say, I would, it's decentralized. And I'd say that this is the characteristic that um, sets apart swarms from multi-robot systems more in general. Uh, in a multi-robot system, very often you have Let's say a cloud system that you can say do some computation for me and then you know inform me of the result, um, or you can you can use the cloud system or a cluster to do some learning for me and then give me back the model that you that you learned. In swarms, this is not the case. Every individual talks individually with other um, with other individuals, and so the interactions are peer to peer, essentially peer to peer. But as let, let's say like a beehive, is there mm -hmm. a queen? like there is in a beehive or each has their own weight 
in terms of or importance in terms of the entire nest? So it is important that uh, even in the example of bees, for example, um, uh, the decision on where to go next, for example, if a new nest needs to be built, it is, this decision is not made by the queen, but it is made um, by the collective. It is made by, by, by bees with uh, a mechanism called the waggle dance, uh, in which multiple scouts go and discover interesting places, and then they come back and they, and they dance in a particular way to signify how desirable the place they found is and in which direction it is with respect to the sun. Uh, so it's interesting because um, these systems are essentially collective systems. Uh, they work a little bit, but uh, the analogy is loose. But anyway, they work a little bit like markets in which you do have governments, but the market at the same time is a force in and of itself. So you do have certain laws. Most of the times these laws are sort of innate in the, in the DNA of the animals. But a lot is, is given by the dynamics of what's happening. Essentially, what's, what, what the condition is today, that is going gonna, is gonna to dictate the reaction of the animals. And this is necessary because you know, there's predators in nature, so you can't pre-program everything. And also, you cannot afford to lose the queen because otherwise the entire system would be lost. So you mentioned predators, and that leads me to a follow-up question. A collaboration between two different nests is possible? Is something that people consider? Uh, yeah, so heterogeneous swarm systems uh, are being studied. In fact, um, I, I did some work as well uh, during my PhD, but I'm, I'm saying I'm by, by far, I'm not the only one to do this kind of things. Um, and also in nature, you can see this. Um, but staying on the artificial, um, one of the most interesting things um, that uh, um, I have seen is in construction, because construction is a particularly complex um, uh, task. And the interesting thing there is that we have multiple types of robots that serve multiple purposes, um, but they also are built to be specialized to certain types of, uh, um, of tasks. And so, for example, you have robots that are very good at digging, but not particularly good at caring. Robots that, robots that are particularly good at sensing, but again, not particularly good at building, and so on and so on. And so this kind of specialization is a very, very good idea. Okay. Can you tell us a bit about what's going on in your lab? You're leading a very important and interesting project. <laughs> Is there anything you can share with the audience that may be relevant nowadays? Sure. So um, I, have, I have a couple of projects that um, that have been particularly fun to work on lately. Um, one is a project about um, human swarm interaction. Uh, the reason why it's interesting is that when you have many robots you typically, and, and that's I typically do not understand what's going on, even though I have experience <laughs> with this. There's just too much going on. There's, I don't actually know where to look. Um, there's this concept called neglect benevolence, which essentially means the following. When I tell all of my robots to do something uh, and they receive this command, there is a period in which the robots are doing something, but you don't know what it is. Um, and they're probably doing the right thing, but you can't tell. And you need to wait for the robots to sort of stabilize and finally say, oh, 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 okay, okay, they understood. So now the big question is, can we make swarms more understandable? Wow. Wow. And so um, the work that, uh, that I've been doing in the past, say, two or three years um, is exactly on creating interfaces uh, that use augmented reality 
to, uh, to basically annotate what the robots are doing. So the very first uh, version of this is based on tablets. So you simply wear, uh, uh, sorry, um, use a tablet to, to indicate uh, you know, the robots what to do. So you can touch things on the tablet and the tablet recognizes objects and robots and then commands are sent to the robots. Uh, for example, you can move objects um, on the tablet and then the robots go around the object and they can move the object together. So that's one thing. And then now the, the research has moved towards having wearable devices. So real, you know, what, what they call spatial um, uh, computation, spatial intelligence. So this idea that you wear something and then you are part of this augmented reality uh, that allows you to interact with the robots. And it's much more intuitive. Wow, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. So I have a question regarding ethics. Um, you mentioned the group and I cannot stop thinking about wrong people getting access to the collective and try to do bad things with this collective group of, of, of swarm. Um, let's call them terrorist attacks that may use swarm robots in order to harm other people. Is there any ethics involved or should be any ethics involved in preventing the swarm to perform certain tasks uh, in order to achieve bad goals? So um, should there be? Absolutely, yes. Is okay. there? Um, it's a tricky thing um, uh, because of the following reason. So um, one of the, the latest trends in, in swarm robotics is the fact that we have started to understand how to make things go the way we want. For a very long time, things kind of worked, but not really that well. And now things are starting to work well in ideal conditions. But then, you know, now we want to achieve what we call resilience. So this ability to make the robots work and do the thing they're supposed to do, even in difficult conditions, which is eventually what nature already does. Now, resilience in our case is resilience to two things, individual failures, but that's to an extent Easy, I would say. I mean, it's you. You can. You can. You can. No, it's not. It's not easy. But I'm saying you can design for for these kind of things. Uh, and then you have obviously uh, hackers, attacks. You know, the purposeful attacks that uh, that are meant to disrupt the in the swarm. Uh, this is the frontier. So today we can we can say that uh, uh, this is really where we don't know much yet because the. Um, issue of, of swarms is, is um, uh, there are two aspects. So the, the first one is that you can see our robot swarm basically like a distributed system, like a, a network of computers. And so you could say the security that we should apply is exactly the same as we do in, in distributed systems. But there's a bit more to that because robots have a physical presence. And so they can, they can just by their physical presence harm people. And uh, this is something that today uh, is becoming prominent when we talk about individual robots. So for example, for example uh, companionship robots, um, robotic arms uh, for people that um, work on factory floors. But by and large, we, have, we haven't conquered swarms yet in that respect. Um, and in fact, the ways in which robots can go wrong, swarms can go wrong, could be emerging properties themselves. And so this is taming a really, really hard beast. So what you're suggesting is something, so the ethics and how do we, do we prevent robot, the robots from doing bad things is something that is being studied, but we haven't discovered yet the principles that allow us 
to say this is safe and so we can deploy it in a place uh, full of humans and it's going to be okay this has consequences on self-driving cars by the way i just want to throw that there <laughs> for that we'll devote a different episode don't worry sure. <laughs> I, I have a question regarding the optimal structure of a of a group is there like a magic number of members or a certain structure, let's say a triangle, a circle, a rectangle, whatever, that is optimal to achieve goals if you work in a swarm robotics environment? So um, in terms of number, um, you can see that uh, when, when you, let's say that you, you plot the performance against the number. So the x-axis is the number of robots and the y-axis is the performance. Um, what you notice is that the performance goes up for a while. There is a maximum performance. That's your optimal number. And then there's just too many people. And so the performance goes down. And we call that part in which the performance goes down, we call it interference. It's basically when you spend most of your time avoiding other people, whatever that means, usually imagine exploration. You, you spend most of your time avoiding obstacles with other people rather than actually exploring. Okay, So uh, that obviously depends on the task. Discovering that is usually done in simulation. So you, you run many simulations and you simply say, how many robots um, should we use for this uh, simulation? But we don't have, say, a mathematical approach to uh, at least not a general one to, to tell how many robots we want as for the structure so communication this is this is the the essence of communication um, it's it's a tricky one because uh, wireless communication uh, can have interferences so you don't want your robots to be too many too dense and speaking too much at, you know uh, one over the other uh, so that's a tricky one I would say I don't have a general answer to that. Um, but let's say that you would like to talk as often as you possibly can, so the robots are up to date with what's happening. Okay, I have a question regarding energy and sure. energy consumption. When I, as a factory on my own, and I decide to uh, purchase robots for the factory floor plan, that's okay. I know where I can warehouse them. I know how much energy they may consume, and I can assess to that. What happens in swarms? First of all, in terms of energy consumption, and second, in terms of where do they sleep at night? Where, where are they located when they are not at work? So th that's a very good question. Um, le let me say one thing. So uh, swarms have one feature, which is redundancy. Uh, that is a nice one. So this means basically that um, if, I, if I give you the robots, um, you already design in the system the fact that you would probably need, say, 50 robots, but you deployed maybe 80. The reason is that um, you can use these robots interchangeably. And so while uh, 50 are on the floor, 30 are, are sleeping or recharging or whatever you want them to be. Now, the logistics of where do they recharge, well, that depends on the mission. So, um, for example, if you're doing search and rescue, uh, I guess that there will be a specific place where you have your headquarters, and that's where, you know, also the first responders are. So I would say probably that's where you want your robots to, um, to, 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 to be recharged, for example. Um, if you are on a planet, then I guess in that case, you would like to sleep in a place where you are in view of, of the sun, maybe because you have solar panels, I would say. So maybe there's something that you want to do, like dig in a, in a dark place. Well, in that case, you need batteries to do that. And you go outside to recharge, for example. So I would say you, you use the fact that um, swarms typically work on very large areas to devote 
one area to 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 recharging whatever that that is in the in the mission interesting so one last question with your permission because you already invested too much of your time in us and i and i appreciate that and i'm sure the audience also has appreciates that as well uh, if i'm a maker i'm a robot developer and i want to focus on the development of swarm robotics what kind of path or what kind of understandings and information should I earn in order to become a successful Swarm Robotics developer? Well, if you want to build a robot, um, you're in luck because typically the robots that we can afford because we want many are not particularly complex. So you can start with almost any simple kit as long as this kit gives you some way of communicating. One way of communicating could be simply having a camera and some LEDs on your body so that your robots change color and other robots can see the change in color and react to it. You can do lots of things with that already like this. Um, uh, or you can use you know, simple robots with uh, Wi-Fi and that's, that's already a start. Uh, so from, from the electromechanical point of view, I would say not much. Then from the algorithmic point of view, aha, that's where the interesting parts are because um, today we don't have a, you know, a simple programming language. So you need to be able to program. And um, it's usually it's C or C++ that you need to be able to use um, because these robots are usually not uh, simple robots to, to program otherwise. So they don't necessarily work with Python. We don't have the equivalent of turtle bots, let's say, uh, to work with. Um, and then I would say where, where to start, um, I would say the first beautiful project you could do is called Diffusion, uh, in which you simply uh, take um, an algorithm that uh, takes inspiration from particles. Um, and then the second one would be pattern formation. And you can find on the internet almost anywhere, um, you know, the algorithms that form hexagons, for example. And those are really fun to do. Dr. Carlo Pinciroli. Thank you so much for participating today. I enjoyed personally, and I'm sure that everybody also will be thrilled to hear your feedback and inputs on, on this topic. Thank you so much for participating. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. It was a lot of fun.